2: Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jennifer Becerra, and we are back. Took a break last week, but we are really excited to be back here with you all. And mayhem is basically upon us now. A ton of stuff is going on, and we're here to break it down. So first, some quick reminders for the show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Believe in Softball is also on YouTube, so subscribe there. It's pretty cool stuff, I have to say. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll cover our bases, news, and call-outs from around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Amanda Freed, a legendary two-way player, one of my absolute favorite players growing up, who I got to call games with this year on TV. Pretty exciting. They say don't meet your heroes, but I'm glad I did, and I'm glad that you get to hear from her now. And this is part one, so stay tuned next week for part two as well. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, which are tips to help us keep going and get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL Futures. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And recently, it's been all about holidays and significant days of recognition in the softball world, really in general, but it's affected the softball world, and I've been calling games through these times as well. You know, one one thing that's been happening a lot is senior day just across the country, and it's a special time. You know, um, I called the series at Stanford for their senior day this past weekend against Oregon, and I realized that I have actually covered that senior class since their freshman year of 2019. So their entire career, freshman through COVID to now, it's It was something I got to witness from a little bit different perspective. You know, I had my own experience on Senior Day, and it is a bittersweet moment, um, but to see it from this side of the house was was definitely interesting, and I'm just sending love to seniors throughout the country. And also Mother's Day. And one cool thing, that, like I said, I got to call that Oregon-Stanford series, to, to be able to cover Jasmine Williams as an example, she's not the only one, but she is a mom, a student athlete, and her maiden name was Sievers, if you remember, Jazz Sievers. Used to be doing a lot of TikTok dances with Haley Cruz, for example, but she actually redshirted last year and she had a baby. Her son Z and her husband were actually in the stands for the very last Pac-12 series of the season for them. And I just to be able to just witness and also get to cover and feature that um, on such a special day, like it was Senior Day, but it was Mother's Day, and there was just so much going on. Was was really really cool. Just one of the cool parts about this job, to be honest. (laughs) And then actually another cool part is my mom had her TV debut, not literally, but there was a photo that Pac-12 Networks was kind enough to share from, I think it was my last games ever in Louisiana and Regionals my senior year. And it was me in my uniform with my mom and my dad. And it was just in a celebration for Mother's Day, but just really the support system in general, they were mine. And I wanted to take a moment to just share some love with all the parental figures out there, biological or not, official or not, you are such a big part of why student athletes and just students and people in general are able to do what they do. So just thank you. I know it's a hard time and hard days, Mother's Day, Father's Day, those types of things for some people, but for the ones who do provide that support, we see you. And we also see a lot of important things that are going on in the athletics community, just in society, really in general, but it is it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And there are a couple of things that I think are worth sharing. If you guys haven't seen them yet, absolutely look at them. One is a feature that ESPN put out where they interviewed players from all around the country who opened up about their struggle, like the hard stuff, even successful players, right? Like in general, they just opened up about their experiences. And I related on many levels, just thinking back to my own experience. And you even think about, if I would have known when I played that other people felt this way, like, wow, I I wonder how that would have made a difference. And something that I thought was cool about this feature, too, is that, yes, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but these were filmed back in February. You know, that's when ESPN did their tour across the United States, because this should really be a constant conversation. And it's timely now when they released it. But the fact that these are conversations happening all the time is how it should be. And another person in particular who shared their story uh, on just a very public and national stage is Emily Klingaman, a senior from Stanford. One of the people who who celebrated her senior day this past weekend, she talked about just her experience with her eating disorder her entire life and how she asked for help, was able to get help, was able to heal, and the support that she had along the way um, in and outside of her teammates. Really, really powerful. Just the fact that they shared. I'm very proud of all of them for sharing, because vulnerability is powerful, but it's really, really hard. (laughs) And this is being talked about more and more, just mental health in general, for good reasons and for tragic reasons, too. And we're going to get more into that in this week's Foul Tip of the Week. But right now, just across the board, too, mayhem is here, like we discussed (laughs) Crazy games in college softball right now. You know, you think back to Bedlam, right? The classic in-state OU-Oklahoma State rivalry. And I just, I love me a good rivalry. It's just next level, right? It's the fun part about college, in my opinion. And OU, you know, won their millionth, it feels like, consecutive Big 12 title. But the the fact that, like, the full team coordinated that dance on the field together afterwards, it was just, the vibes are immaculate. And I think those are the types of things that make softball so fun. Super fun to watch the series in the desert too, ASU and UCLA and UCLA was picked to win the pack in the preseason poll. ASU was picked fifth, but the Sun Devils took the series. And now right now they're in first place and they hold the reins for the Pac-12 championship. They are 18 and three. The Bruins are 16 and five. Now, the Sun Devils still have to play a ranked Washington team in Seattle while UCLA gets to host an unranked Cal team, still competitive, but it's not done yet. But what a journey. Like this is the fun stuff, right? Like down to the wire that all this stuff counts. That's why every pitch matters. On the other hand, on the East Coast, the Florida Gulf Coast University team beat number 10, Florida. And This may seem, quote unquote, smaller compared to some of these big conference matchups. I don't view it that way. Some people do. But to me, this is big time. It's the second top 10 win that they've had this year and their second ever win over Florida in program history. Let it sink in for a second. Like that is a big deal. And they're the only team in their conference, by the way, with multiple all academic team recipients. So that's kind of like what I'm all about. Put those things together and it's golden. And, of course, right now, I am already enjoying this, the conference tournaments that are happening. 22 tournaments are on the ESPN platforms, over 200 matchups that we're able to witness. And there's some on-site coverage in terms of TV and studio programming for the SEC and ACC tournaments, too. This is coverage that's like the Women's College World Series. And it's, in a lot of ways, because of the teams that are in those conferences, a preview of at least part of what that will look like. And it's just fantastic exposure We've come such a long way with that kind of exposure. So I just say, come join the party. And the party's going to continue. After college season, some of these players are going to be potentially a part of Athletes Unlimited. Recently, the college draft happened. I just want to say congrats to the 13 athletes who were selected and invited to join the league. I thought that representation was interesting. You know, All Power 5 conferences were represented with SEC, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, and the Big 10. It wasn't a surprise you see names like Jocelyn Allo and Gabby Plain, who are just massive superstars in college softball. But what I also thought was cool was that the Mountain West and the AAC were represented, for example. So some of these like mid-major teams, which is fantastic. You know, that's really what we're looking for, is that kind of growth and representation. And that is what the softball landscape looked like. So let's, let's take that into consideration. So we'll get into more of this too as AU approaches, but when it comes to college, they're not done yet. Postseason is coming. And someone who has had success at literally every level and in every forum of softball is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. She is a fellow Pac-12 Networks analyst, Team USA Olympic gold medalist, UCLA Hall of Famer, national champion, and one of the OG pitchers who hit, Amanda Freed hi
3: hi (laughs) thanks for having me
2: (laughs) i know i'm so excited like i i've i think i told you and you tell me about this when we got a chance to work together earlier this year like i know i told this to you already but just for the listeners so they know they know i'm from southern california right and so growing up being a pitcher who liked to play shortstop and hit and do all the things you were one of my all-time faves to watch especially being like in SoCal and UCLA was right there right and so when we got to work together yeah yeah, (laughs) it was like such a full circle fun cool thing you know like the thing the kind of thing that we love about like this game and the community so now that we get to do this on top of that it's just like the best. Yeah that's
3: so cool because you think about like how far the sports come and back then it was like local newspapers that you would hear about or other like local news and so it was really like you know, you're somebody down the street who, you know, you could go watch. And I love that. I love that. I love that we can see so much on TV now, too. But I appreciate that. I, know. I think that's so cool. Yeah,
2: I agree. Like, the obviously, both you and I love to do that stuff to help cover the the sport on TV and all that stuff. But it is cool. It's just cool to see, like, the growth. I think it's a good reminder, too, every once in a while. Because I know, like, as we continue to grow, we want more and more, right? As we should but sometimes looking back and, and being grateful for how far we've come is also a good thing. Agreed,
3: definitely.
2: But I I do want to ask you, did I keep it cool the whole time we worked <laughs> together until the end?
3: <laughs> yeah, I was shocked because, well, you were the one that was like, I got you. If you're struggling, I got you. Because it was my first weekend doing play-by-play. Never done it before. And it's terrifying a little bit being, I think it was more so because... I'd been doing broadcasts for so long, and you get comfortable in your role, and then all of a sudden you've got to take that lead, and you just look at that other person like, wow, they're carrying this show, and now that's gotta be me. And you know, even though I've heard it and I've done it a million times with a partner, being that lead was terrifying. And so you came in, and first I was I was nervous because you said, Oh, I do this all the time. I'm like, oh I'll shoot, I'd rather work with somebody who's never done it before, so that way I look <laughs> like a genius. You're like, I got you. Don't worry. And it actually was really fun. And it was just nice to work with somebody who had also played the sport. So we could kind of banter back and forth about the game a little more in depth than me just being asked the questions all the time. It was fun to be um, the person who got to ask some questions and get a different perspective and just kind of go back and forth. So that was a lot of fun. You played it really cool, though. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Okay, good. I was like,
2: not sure. I even told, I think at one point, I think you might've went to the bathroom or something and I was on the headset and the producer said something and I was like, yeah, I haven't told Amanda yet. I'm going to wait till the end. But like, she was one of my favorites. So I'm trying to play it Cool. Like I told them before, too. So cool. <laughs> but I agree. It was really fun to, to talk with an ex player because like, yes, like, like I told you, like I I've done analyst stuff and play by play stuff for the Stanford stream, like at Stanford athletics. But I thought about it and I was like, I've never actually gotten to do it with a f- another former player. And it was just like a cool new perspective, not just for us, probably, but probably for people listening, too, because it was more like just talking the game, you know, like more conversational, which
3: which was fun. Oh, I mean, it was I like... Agree. I hope we get to do it again, because I feel like that was just the beginning. And so you're just, you know, getting a rhythm down. And now I feel a little more confident and comfortable. And so I think it would just be even more fun moving forward. So fingers crossed that we could do it again sometime soon.
2: I agree. I agree. And it's like anything else, right? It's like softball, like reps, right? Like the more reps we get, like the more we want to do that. Yeah, so I, I agree. I hope we get to, too. <laughs> but like, back to the pitcher who hit piece, because, okay, actually, let me ask you, do you consider yourself a pitcher who hit or a hitter who pitched?
3: I think that... It, sl- it flip flopped at the end of my career, like the the last third of my career, because I'd always seen myself as a pitcher who hits, um, but I never, I always played the field also. So I just, I guess, I just saw myself as an athlete. So I was never one thing or the other. I was I was a pitcher who hit when I wasn't hitting, um, or when I wasn't pitching. I was when I was younger playing shortstop or third. I transitioned into the outfield in high school, knowing that when you get to college, it's just a better an easier thing to go from pitcher to outfield. And thank goodness I had travel ball coaches who were very knowledgeable and helped me make that transition. Um, But yeah, I just, I didn't know the game any other way. So I was always a pitcher who hit, who played the field. And then I had an injury at the end of my career at UCLA and I still pitched, but going into the national team stuff, um, it's hard to be kind of a pitcher on the mend when you're trying out for the Olympic team. So I became more of an outfielder pitcher or outfielder hitter who also pitched. Um, so it was always a utility role, just a different flip-flop to it. Yeah.
2: I really like this answer, meaning you just saying, like, I felt like I was just an athlete. I think that's actually the perfect answer because I've asked people before and they're be like, well, some, like on these days I feel like a pitcher who hits, on these other days I feel like a hitter who pitches. But I think you're right. It's kind of like I don't know if one comes before the other. You're just an athlete. Yeah, You know, like that's the
3: point. And I'm really fortunate that I never had to choose. So I always, I was always an athlete before I was a pitcher. So pitching for me didn't really become my thing until I would say like eighth or ninth grade. So I was a little bit late. I grew really late. So I was very small. I didn't throw hard. So I was always playing the field because I was quick and I could hit a little bit. Um, So yeah, I guess maybe that helped also. Nobody ever told me you have to make a decision or we need you to be able to pitch every game. It just kind of pitching came along with it. And so I had already established myself as a hitter and a fielder. And um, then when pitching came, it was like, well, I'm not giving up the other two. So better make room for me somewhere. Um, And I just loved playing the field. Like I'm a very active person. I played soccer. I played just about every sport. So I don't think I could have played the game only doing one thing. I had to choose pitching or everything else I probably would have chosen everything else just to be in the game all the time
2: yeah 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 I think did you play soccer and volleyball in high school is that what I saw yeah Yeah. so literally an athlete not just within softball yeah 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 Yeah. I remember it's funny because I think I kind of asked you this when we we were doing that that series earlier in the season for Pac-12 but you were like yeah I just I would be so bored (laughs) if I like
3: was a PO Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't want to take anything away from POs because some pitchers can put all the effort into that. Um, I just was not that personality type. I just needed to be in. Even when I hit, I was one of the first. I was one or two when I was hitting the lineup the majority of my career at UCLA. So I wanted to go from the mound, like rush in, get my helmet on and just go and then run to the field. And at practice, um, knowing how to balance. Getting your hitting work in, getting the outfield work in, also getting in a good bullpen. Um, it was it was a tough balance, but again, it just always kept me kept me in every aspect of the game. So I just never knew the difference, and I think it would be really hard if you were a pitcher only who all of a sudden in college decided you wanted to try to hit. And feel this, it's a hard balance, because pitching, especially today, requires so much attention. Hitting requires so much attention, those two sides of the game, that it's really hard to dedicate 100% of you to both. Yeah, it is. It is.
2: Well, that's the thing. When you were hitting, how much did you think, like, okay, well, if I was a pitcher, I would do this, and vice versa? Or did you just separate the two?
3: (laughs) You know, that's funny because I I separated them pretty, pretty well, I think, because it would be easy to get in your head Um, because I do. I think to myself, well, in this situation, if it were me throwing to me, I would definitely go with, you know, a change up, down and in or whatever it is. But you have to get rid of that because they're not me. And I, you know, every pitcher thinks differently. But I think I was able to separate the game pretty well, um, which is why I was able to be successful on both sides. Um, And I liked that. I liked being able to have a bad outing in the circle because it happens and not just go in the dugout and dwell on that and then think, now I've got to redeem myself the next inning. Like I had an opportunity immediately on offense to flush defense, to do some work offensively, and then just getting in that mindset helped me to flush the defense and then get back out there with a little bit of a, a fresher perspective. So, I think being able to do that helped again, helped my game on both sides because I could release and refocus and release and refocus and not just dwell because so it's a tough game. Um, and we fail a lot, obviously, right? We talk about that all the time, you know. Like, you know, we a lot of athletes today I'm thinking, man, there's like some 500 hitters. I mean, they haven't failed them, <laughs> it was tough. It was tough to be a 300 hitter, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed doing it all. Well, that's what I like to
2: say about people like you, too, is because you were the type of person who had an over 300 career batting average and an under one ERA, right? Because those are kind of like those marks of like what makes good or great, you know? But at a time also when it was a lot harder to hit over 300, now it feels like everyone's doing that because of like the spread of information and technology and all these things. But at that time... Like, that was hard. You know, Jenny Finch is, like, who you're looking against and you're, like, UCLA, U of A, like, rivalry at that point, right? Yeah. It's, like, you and her. Imagine that that situation, right? And, and
3: that was kind of, like, all throughout the Pac-12 and Pac-10 yeah. at the time. I know. I, I know that it was a different game. And it's hard to think exactly how because I didn't play. I'm not playing in today's game. You know, I know looking at pitchers, it's tough to be a pitcher today. Um, because you are scouted. You're on TV every weekend. So as a pitcher, it was probably to my advantage. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we didn't have the technology. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of things that were also adding advantage. So I think it kind of balances, you know, both sides out, whether you played back then or now. Like, you still had to make solid contact. I think the ball flies so much more today than it did when we played. Um, sometimes I wonder how many home runs I could have hit because uh, I had a little bit of power when, when I hit it, but I didn't hit very many home runs at all. I was more of a gap-to-gap type of a hitter. But um, I wonder sometimes how I would have fit into today's softball culture um, because it is really different. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of played like during that transition, I feel like, though. Yes. Right? Like, very much. Yeah. Yes.
2: Because it was like that. I Let me think. 2009 to 2012 and I feel like it it was that transition you're right like my senior year in 2012 was the first year in who knows how long that it wasn't a Pac-12 team Mm -hmm. it was the first year Pac-12 that year who won the championship like Alabama won it was like SEC's first so it was like a transition in that sense and then also like the Danielle Lorries and the Taryn Moats like had had left, they had graduated. And so it was like this new, I don't know, kind of like an end of an era and the start of a new one in in a kind of way. So it was really interesting. Yeah, playing at that time, for sure.
3: Yeah, I agree. And just the television coverage, the super regionals had just a few years before that become a thing. And so more teams were in the tournament. So more teams were being seen. And you know, recruiting started to spread wider across the country. I think that's when athletes really started to look. Because as a California athlete, I don't know about you, but I wanted to stay relatively close to home. So you have your eye on the pack. But now I think athletes are like, no, I want to get out of here. And so we're going all over the place across the country, which is it's pretty cool for our sport to see so much parity. It is cool. And it's, I feel like it's also,
2: it it used to be, it still is like very much a hotbed in California, especially Southern California, as, as we know, having grown up in the area. But I think because, you know, some players started going more to the SEC, the ACC, like it started to be, even though their rosters for a long time were all California kids now, because that visibility and that information and like camps and clinics and things like that have been going on in those areas for a while, Now there is more talent coast to coast also. So it's just – it's like softballs everywhere, which is cool. It is. It's fun. I love this time of year. (laughs) I know, right? It's the best. It really – it really honestly is the best. (laughs) And especially like as we think to Mm postseason because it – I don't know about you. Tell me if you agree with this. I always think of it as like three different seasons, you know, where it's like that preseason mode and then there's conference And then there's postseason and it's like three and one and they're just different. Like it's all part of the same season, but it's just a little bit different, even if it's just mentally.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. And this season just feels like it flew by. I don't know. It it felt long, but it also just, I think because I don't want it to end (laughs) and I'm just thinking, wow, conference is almost over. We're almost into May, May flies by we have got regional super regionals the women's college world series comes on i'm so glad it's a longer format because i always get so sad near those last couple of days like oh just just give me a three game series like all i want is a three game series i don't even care who wins i just want more softball and then when it's over it's like you go through a period of mourning for a couple of months like oh man now i gotta wait a whole you know another eight months until we get to watch softball again um but yeah it's Definitely, I can see it in those three seasons. Yeah. And surprised at how fast conference play is going by. Specifically, I I don't know why conference this season feels like it came and it's almost over.
2: I agree. I don't know. Maybe we're just having fun. I guess that's what they say happens. I agree with you. When you when the season ends, it is like that little bit of depression. It's almost like when you binge a show that you love on Netflix or something, and yeah. then it's over, and you're like, "Well, what do I do now?" I'm waiting
3: for the next <laughs> season. Like, what are they going to do? It.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like, do we have to? Yeah. Uh, but what I thought was so cool about your experience too, because everyone knows about like the Olympics and obviously your college career, which are amazing. But I think it's really cool that you've won championships at every level, like not just those. Also on the pro level, like, right, you won a Coles Cup with the Bandits at the time. And even at the club level and the high school level, like yeah. you've won championships. So to me, that's what's really, really cool. Even, you know, putting it all together comprehensively.
3: Yeah, I don't know if it's luck, Um I mean, a lot of it has to be right. Just like going down the right path and having the right guidance. And I've been really lucky to have some pretty good coaches. Like I've lucked out um, coaches that are still in the game that I played back, you know, 14, u they're still coaching and travel ball. Um, my college coaches are still around. Um, so I feel like I've been really, really fortunate and, you know, went to a good high school with great, you know talent because at that level you just never know and we won a couple of championships there and um then at UCLA and you know travel ball level like you said and then the pro level who would have ever thought you know um so yeah it was it's hard to look back on your career because when you're living it you don't stop all the time and think god this is really cool i wish i did i wish i thought more about that but instead it was like what's next what's next what's that next thing you know you always have that next goal Um, so yeah, I thought, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's cause that's how we're programmed, right? You're like, okay, meet a, meet a goal, next play. What are we doing here? Like, especially someone like you who it's like, okay, well I just finished pitching this inning. Now I'm going to go hit. Like you're never really stopping,
3: you know, (laughs) like at that point, that's just, that's your personality. Like you said. Yeah, no, I know. and, And then it's over. You know, it's kind of like yeah. that sh- stretch for the softball season. It's all of a sudden it's over, and you're like, "What? What just happened?" And it took me a really long time to look back and reflect on my career. And really, I think it happened when I was induct- in- inducted into the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame because you go through a period. And I don't know if you experienced this after softball, where it was such a part of your life for so long that you think you have everything lined up. You think you know what direction you're going in in life. And then when it hits, you look around, you're like, wow, my best friends, my friends for the last 20 years, um, don't live in my area. We, you know, we don't, we didn't just hang out on the weekends. Like we were in something together. So once you're not a part of that anymore, you feel a, a sense of loss and which, you know, a lot of athletes are really open about that right now, but You just, it's hard to articulate it until you go through it. And even when you're going through it, you don't actually know what it is because you're searching. Like now, what is it that drives me? Like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I knew it wouldn't be softball, but now what's that next thing? And being okay with after being at that very top okay, now I'm, you know, I want to have a family. I want a a sense of normalcy, if you will, but it's not as easy to just get there. So I think with the UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame, it was really a time for me to go back to kind of where it all started and um, really celebrate and look back. Enough time had passed because this was in 2018. So it was about, I don't know, almost 10 years since I had retired, eight years So I had had my time to kind of, you know, separate myself from the sport. And then at that time in 2018, I could look back and be like, wow, that was, that was cool. I was really fortunate. These were all the people who helped me to get there. Um, And that was one of my coolest experiences. And I think one of my greatest accomplishments, you know, even more so than the Olympic gold medal, because that was, that was an event, but I feel like, UCLA was recognizing, you know, more than just an event, it was kind of a legacy recognition, which I really appreciated.
2: Well, and think about who is in the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame. Like, this is not a casual, right? right? Like, this is not a casual thing that they just invite whoever to. Um, And that, like, not just softball. It's, like, for all the sports. But then you look at softball on top of it being probably one of, if not the, like, most elite sport at UCLA. Historically, right? So it's, like, yeah, you can't, I'm sure you can't help but, like, be like, wow. This is,
3: like, let yourself celebrate it. Yeah, I knew I yeah I knew it was fun. I knew I did pretty well doing it, but at the same time, like so did everybody else who went through that program. So <laughs> yeah, it was just nice to be recognized. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's hard to to play softball at UCLA and like not win a national championship. That's, <laughs> well, that's kind of yeah. Then now it's like it's now hard. there's been there's there. been time. Yeah, yeah, there was like that nine year nine year drought for yeah. sure between 2010 and 2019, but even, even still, I feel like it's still such a cornerstone of softball. And I think it always will be like, no matter if it's an up year or down year, it's just laid such a foundation for collegiate softball. Yeah. And, and I think without it, without U of A, without like some of these just historic programs, like, I don't know if these other programs could have emerged the way they did, right. you know? So there's just always going to be something special about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that's the thing that's also cool about UCLA and the legacy of the pitcher who hits, hitter who pitches, just the athlete, mm-hmm. like we're talking about. Because going from like Lisa Fernandez to you to Megan Langefeld to Rachel Garcia, like what I think is really cool is it's a hard balance to be able to like respect a tradition but make it your own. And I feel like somehow UCLA. And all the players like you guys that have gone through it find a way to do that. And that's actually like, to me, an accomplishment in itself.
3: Yeah, it's the alumni at UCLA is pretty special, which is one of the reasons I chose it. Um, there's just some unique people and everyone sticks around, which is fun. And I know you experienced that experience That also, just a really strong alumni base and um, culture. And we're really fortunate that our coaches, too, have remained in the program. So, you know, going from Sharon Backus to Sue Enquist. And when I was there, Kelly Inouye Perez was the assistant coach and Lisa Fernandez was, and Kirk Walker was up at Oregon state, but we knew the connection that Kirk had to UCLA and that he was a coach. So we still kind of thought of him as being a part of the family. And, um, and then now Kelly, I being able to transition into the head coaching position, you just, and then knowing that there are so many alumni that are now head coaches and doing well. You just, you feel like the program's taken care of. And um, it's just nice that you can kind of continue on with that culture and that legacy. Um, And I love that I can go up there and always feel like I'm a part, you know, and I know a lot of programs, even though through Coaching Changes, coaches do a really great job of tying in the alumni. But there is something really special about having your head coaches having been through the program themselves, and um, being able to keep that tie pretty closely. You're right. All overlapping too. So there's like no gaps.
2: Yeah. You know, I just think that's unique for sure. Cause even, even if, even if other programs have like coaches who went through the program and stuff for there to be no gaps like that, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty
3: incredible. Yeah. And I think we're seeing more of that, you know, but UCLA is really yeah. unique in that way. I think um, yeah. Arizona's kind of got the same thing going on with coach Kendra retiring and bringing in, um, Caitlin. So he's been there forever. So again, no gaps there. Um, and Heather Tarr kind of a thing with that. So I love that. I think that's good. And that's why I talk so much when I do broadcasts about alumni that are coaching and Chelsea Spencer and Jessica Allister. I just love, I love when you go back because I don't think there's a greater passion that you could have for coaching at your alma mater. You know, you go and I know Jessica Allister has talked about how much she loved Minnesota and what she was able to do there was just fantastic um, but there's something about coming back to your alma mater and making it your own or, or revamping it and recreating. And, um, I'm excited to see what those two coaches do because they're still young and they've got so much energy and passion for those programs. And the programs have a lot of room for growth and we're starting to see it in the pack. Um, so I think they're just at the beginning of it. It's going to be exciting.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I think it's going to serve the pack 12 well, especially, um, in terms of getting, building up facilities and all that good stuff. Like you couldn't have more passionate people. Yeah. But what's also cool is you competed against Chelsea. Did you compete against Jessica Allister too? Both yeah. of them? Yeah.
3: yeah. was just one year behind me, maybe. Ooh, might have been. I feel like that sounds right. Or like a little bit of overlap. Yeah. And then Chelsea yeah. was, I want to say she was a freshman when I was a senior. Something close and to that. that. Yeah. 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 And they were That's both very... Cool. It's hard, like, I remember them as athletes and I remember pitching for them and I remember playing against them. So it's kind of funny to see them now as head coaches and talk and kind of act professional. <laughs> yeah. like, I remember playing against you and, you know, like, it was a long time ago since college for me, but you remember those days like they were yesterday. So I remember Chelsea Spencer was a firecracker and I, you probably even more so. Playing against Cal was just like, Ah, oh, they were just a thorn in your side. And she was a big reason why, which is why I love that she's back there building that culture because it worked. Um, and then just Alistair was just such a calming, I didn't get to play with her, but, um, she was such a consistent presence and then watching her go through the coaching ranks and do what she did consistently at all the different levels. And I, and what she was able to do with Stanford so quickly when she came back, I think is really special, but I do, I feel really lucky that I was able to play against a lot of them and I think in general, like a lot of these athletes I see coaching across the country, um, that are doing really, really good things. I had a chance to play with or against, which I don't know if it was just the time I was coming up in the sport, because I think, um, you know, I was kind of during a transitional period also where with the Olympics, I was an alternate in 2000 and it was a very different game, almost like an old school game, a really old school game. And then, as I was going into college, it was the slap game was evolving, and um, it was just changing a lot. So I think that it was a really educated group of softball athletes, um, knew the game really, really well, and were able to do well without the technologies and you know the scouting and just purely making adjustments in that blue collar type of an athlete, which I think is really, I mean it served them well in the coaching ranks. Um, and then obviously you got to do the technology thing too. I'm still getting used to that <laughs> stuff. There's just so much of it. It's like overload for me. I agree. I agree. Cause I, if, for the most part, I'm
2: like, okay, I'm just trying to see the ball, hit the ball here. Right. Like that's like, you know, ultimately you it, like if you had to boil it down. Yeah. But then I'm like, oh, they watched some software where they could see like the, whatever, the launch angle and like all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know what's happening yeah. <laughs> to a certain yeah. degree. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, that's cool because uh, this is like when it, I get to the point where it's like, well, back in my day, you know, no. or like <laughs> back when I used to watch growing up or whatever it is. But sometimes I think there are flashes of that blue collar sort of mentality or approach that we have in today's game. But that's one thing that I'm like, I wish we had a little bit more of it. Like I like the the technology and the advancement and the involvement, like it's good. It has to happen. But once in a while, um, like that's kind of what gets me fired up when we see that yeah. when we're calling games or whatever it is because it does, it's not it's not
3: quite the same. But Yeah, it's like plays you can't practice, you know. And exactly. Calls that you can't practice hitting off of a pitcher and situational type of stuff. Yeah, you, you, I like when athletes kind of think outside the box and go off the cuff. And, you know, Sis Bates was a good example of that. She was just fun to watch because you look at her and you're like, you are not the stereotypical you know, athlete that's supposed to be doing the things that you're doing, but she would make plays that, you know, and you talk to her and she's like, I played backyard ball with my brothers. Like, that's what it used to be about, right? Like I yeah. my cul-de-sac. I had three siblings and we would pick those little, you know, nuts off of the tree and get a stick. And I know it sounds like super archaic, but we would just like <laughs> hit nuts over the neighbor's yard and like home run over the fence, you know, or get a wiffle ball and we spray painted, you know, bases in the cul-de-sac, but that's just more of what it was about. Um, we didn't have a lot of the structured practices, which I'm super thankful for because it made me want to be better on my own and think creatively how I could do that. Not having all of the stuff, the equipment, the technology, the private lessons. I did my pitching lessons, but didn't do fielding or hitting or anything like that. And even travel ball, we didn't really have everything that they have today. We didn't play every weekend. We practiced once a week. Um, it was a long practice and it was a productive practice, but you were responsible for yourself when you went home. And um, yeah. I'm super grateful for that. I wish maybe, you know, sometimes you would have had a little more resources, but um, yeah, I think, I think athletes. So COVID was kind of fun to, I mean, that, that was really probably the worst statement I could have made. It was not fun. COVID was not fun. <laughs> but during that period, I was doing um, a streaming with Darren Sutton, SiriusXM, XM. Um, college softball show and we'd have athletes on from all over and we talked through COVID. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? What do you, you know, you don't have practices, you don't have the field. Um, what are you doing? And just to hear what they were coming up with, you're like this, this is what it's about. Like, isn't the game fun again? And a lot of the athletes like went one direction or the other. Some realized I don't miss it very much because they never had the opportunity you know, and once they're done, it's like God. I feel relief not having the game. Well, that's a telltale mm. sign. And then some athletes thought, "Oh my gosh, like I really miss this." You know, I needed a break, but God, I love it and I miss it. And then they were getting creative with how they would, you know, work on their swing or pitch in their garage when you had maybe a bonnet and a couple of balls. But it was really fun to listen to how they were getting creative and just kind of bringing it back to the old school style. It's a great point. Because And that's, you know,
2: these are not things that we ever want to happen or wish to happen. But sometimes in those, like, extremely hard moments, that's when that happens. Because it's like when all else fails, if you don't have, like, the fancy field or facilities or the technology and you can't go to the batting cage or whatever it is, like, what is it that you love about it? And, like, how much do you want to try to make something happen, even if it's just on your own, right? Like, and it does go back to, like, that backyard yeah. So, like throwing a ball against the wall and just fielding totally. off of that, right? Like whatever it takes, sort of mentality, which is definitely at least a silver lining from those that year. Yeah,
3: <laughs> a little, sp- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <A> little <laughs> back there. But hope we maintain some of the philosophies that we learned. <laughs> yes, on our own. exactly. Yeah.
2: I've said it before, but this really is one of my favorite parts about the show: just the connections made, the relationships built, the full circle moments. And just good conversation, you know, so I'm excited to have had you with Amanda and I on this ride and we'll get to finish it too with part two next week. So stay tuned. And with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about taking a break. This is super top of mind for me right now, because as you know, we took a break from this show last week. And there was a lot going on in the softball world at the time. Good stuff, right? It's mayhem. You heard about some of it in Covering Our Bases. But to be completely honest, I was overwhelmed just personally. And if you're familiar with the social scientist, Brene Brown, and her work with emotions, she talks a lot about the difference between stress and being overwhelmed. So stress is like pressure, but it's manageable, And you can logistically and emotionally take on actions, even if you're concerned about the time and effort you have to put into it. You can still do it. But overwhelm is an extreme level of stress and emotional and cognitive intensity to the point of feeling unable to function. So this is next level. So with work, I was stressed. In addition to a standard work week and all that that entails, I also called four solo broadcasts during the week, the midweek UC Davis-Stanford baseball game, and then the Oregon-Stanford three-game softball series. And it's a lot of work. Like for those that are part of this this industry, you do a lot of research, a lot of due diligence, a lot of conversations. Like you want to give these women and men, in the case of baseball, what they deserve in terms of coverage and their stories. So it's not easy. And that was one thing. But with my personal life, it it was a lot more than that. For one thing, it was my grandfather's memorial service and I had written and given the eulogy, which meant a lot to me. And I don't know if I was overwhelmed because I think I could ultimately at the end of it still function, but I realized that I needed to process everything. I needed to be present with my family and I needed to let myself feel my feelings. The distractions had been helpful up to that point, but it was just time for me to sit with it. I needed that. And it was a mix of all the feelings, you know, good feelings, bad feelings. I was anxious because I wanted to give a eulogy that he deserved for him, for my mom, and for myself, because I think for me, it was part of my process to heal. Then on top of that, there was just stuff that's way bigger than me. The tragic news about the student-athletes that we've lost recently, Katie, Lauren, and Sarah. This is a Stanford athlete, a softball player, and an athlete from near my hometown in Ventura County, respectively. So first I just want to say and send all the love to their family and friends and their communities because that is the most important thing. But on a personal level, when I was in my own processing, I couldn't help but think about how close to home it is for me. I didn't know them as people, but I know those communities because they were mine too. And the thought that it could be somebody like you and people you care about and know well, that punches you in the gut. So that realization that it could be anybody, right? Like Katie, for example, was described as the most energetic, full of life presence at Stanford. So it's not like it's a personality thing. It's bigger than that. Lauren went to the Women's College World Series last year and had a historic season for JMU. She was a starter. She was named the conference player of the week just a day or so before. So it's not just about performance. It's bigger than that. And to see that JMU canceled the rest of their season, you know, I was sad for the seniors, especially, but I also have this feeling of them having their priorities straight and allowing everyone to heal. And then that makes you think about your own priorities. So with all of that, I could keep going, but with all of that, basically my mental health was strained. Something had to give so that I could give myself the space I needed first. And then even some of that support for my other loved ones and in, in some of the things that were going on. And it goes against my grain to skip something that I've committed to, especially when there was, you know, so much softball to cover too. It's like, would I miss the boat? Am I letting the listeners down? Do I bring less value if I'm not consistent no matter what? And then I thought to myself about how it's Mental Health Awareness Month and how supportive I am of others, friends, family, coworkers, the softball community, even strangers, just in taking care of themselves. So why don't I do that for me? If there's any lesson, that's it. You know, not only is taking a step away sometimes a healthy thing to do, like in my case, but I do think it's more productive in the end anyway. And it's one of the hardest lessons that I have learned. I've pushed myself through so many times when I shouldn't have. And it resulted in more damage to me than it did in progress towards whatever I was trying to accomplish. So after taking that break, I guarantee that this is a much higher quality podcast, (laughs) even if it is a week later, you know, than I intended to, to release this next episode. And this seems like such a small example, because in some ways it is, but it's really about getting in the habit of taking care of ourselves and consistently making that decision. That means choosing ourselves and giving ourselves grace when we do that. And by no means am I saying that this is some sort of solution for everything. Not at all. But it is something that we can do, all of us now. And it might be kind of counterintuitive to think about, you know, oh, well, let's take a breath or a break during mayhem, right? It's the busiest time of the year for our sport, but maybe that's actually why it's more important than ever. So that's it. Take a break. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com. And you can watch the videos on YouTube too. Subscribe and rate and review it if you liked it. I appreciate your support, and I just want to know what you think. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. And you can always reach out to me on Twitter, at Jenna Becerra01, and Instagram, at Jenna Becerra as well. As always, thanks for tuning in, and catch you soon.